Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and I have a special returning guest to join me for a movie that uh, has a cult following, a small cult following, and uh, we'll get into it, but it's uh, definitely not what I would say is a cult classic, but we'll get into it. But before I do uh, introduce my guest and the movie... I just want to remind everyone to please follow the Cult Film Companion on Instagram and Twitter at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. We are also available on all major podcast platforms, and please check us out on the Blind Knowledge Creative Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great site to check out video casts and podcasts from around the world that cover interesting and unique topics. We strive to be entertaining and informative. We are also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. Please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M, that's cult film. Drop the I, pop in a one, and get a month free of Newsly's premium service, courtesy of the Cult Film Companion. Now with all that hot dogging and grandstanding out of the way, I'm very excited to welcome back to the Cult Film Companion, Melvin, a.k.a. Robopope. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you for having me back, Chris. Uh, I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> well... He wants to explain why you chose this particular movie. I may be more thankful or less thankful. I don't know, but I'm glad to be back anyway. I enjoy I enjoy coming here. I enjoy when you have me over. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we should do. It'll be fun in a different kind of direction. <laughs> yeah, we've we covered. Um, what did we cover previously? Highway to Hell and cruising. Cruising and payback. The the Mel Gibson payback, payback. Payback. I covered Highway to Hell with somebody else. I'm I've, I'm on sixty plus episodes. I used to be able to keep track of all these things, and now I cannot. Um, Very prolific. <laughs> uh, today we're talking about a movie that uh, time has forgotten, and possibly with good reason, although it does have a bit of a cult following. That is The Hallcroft Covenant, which is starring Michael Caine and directed by John Frankenheimer. Now, Melvin... This plot's a bit convoluted. Would you would you care to try to explain the plot, or do you want me to try to tackle this one? Um, I'm going to start, and I guess whenever I kind of feel like I'm losing my thread, you can just come and pick up. But Sounds the basic good. premise is um, Michael Caine plays Noel Holcroft. He is an architect builder based in New York, uh, you know, a, a British-born uh, New York citizen, uh, USA citizen. And he is suddenly notified that he is uh, an inheritor to a, a large fortune, a huge fortune, as a matter of fact. But a number of people want that money also. And they want to make sure, <laughs> I'm trying here, I guess, uh, well, 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 that money is not used for evil purposes, mainly um, well, not to rebuild, to re, restru- re uh, how would I say, uh, revive the Fourth Reich, I guess, let's say, because they believe that... Um, I guess I forgot. Yeah, see, I'm already lost my mind. Uh, Michael Caine, um, his father was a Nazi. His father in the movie is a Nazi. His yes. name is, they change his name. Yes. And he sort of, he knows it, but he doesn't, 
he doesn't like to talk about it. And understandably, I understand you probably, if you have, you know, if your father's an athlete, you probably yeah. don't want to, you're not proud of that fact. I guess you don't want to um, flagrantly show that to anybody. No. But then complications happen. And I'll let you take over from there because I'm not quite sure where the complications are. I, the movie never felt like anybody was in any real danger. Uh, well, yeah. here's the first problem with the movie. This is based on a Rod, Robert Ludlum novel. Now, Robert Ludlum is probably best known for the Bourne novel. You know, the Bourne identity. The Bourne series, yeah. Yeah, the Bourne series. That's probably what... Well, he's he was known as, a, you know, writer of thrillers. But I'm, I'm thinking, movie-wise, the, the most popular adaptations of his work has been the Bourne franchise. Yes. Uh, the problem with the Hallcroft Covenant is that I think that this was a massive book. I haven't read it, but it's what I read a comparison of the book to the novel. The novel is well over 500 pages. We have a lot of characters, a lot's going on. And to kind of um, condense that into, you know, a 90-minute movie is difficult because... You're right. We're never... So, this fortune comes from three high-ranking Nazi officials that they come up with this covenant that's... uh, It's also not really clear exactly what this... You know, it's a lot of money, and it's been accruing a great deal of interest, so it's it's $5 billion. Um, So, the movie opens... And um, I really like the way that this movie opened, actually. Um, yes, it, I agree with that. Yeah, that was very uh, impressive, very dramatic. It's like black and white. Um, there's like a, they're at war. I guess this is actually World War Two. World War Two. these three high-ranking officers, uh, you know, they make a pact. They do the wax seal stamp, you know, very traditional. And then you can take over. You can, I, I, you really want to talk about this, so you can go ahead and have it. Oh, 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 thank you. <laughs> um, so, yes. So we have these three high-ranking officials that have this decree. They have this cov- covenant. They have this oath that um, at a certain age, th- their their children will inherit this money. Now, yes. So then we've got... So, and then... The one guy shoots the other two, then he shoots himself in the head. So all the Nazis are dead. World War II is over. Uh, it's been 40-something years. We're in the 80s now. Michael Caine is a, a very high-ranking, very popular, famous architect. And he's, yeah, out of the blue, is told all about this money that he's going to inherit. Which is all very fine and good, and he meets with this banker, and he looks up this banker. <clears throat> the problem is then that this plot, or not plot, plots are all over the place. Because yeah, yeah. he's meeting with people, he's not sure. There's a man in a wheelchair that can, all of a sudden he can stand up, <laughs> there's people people are plot there's people trying to de- make sure that the money doesn't go to the right wrong get into the wrong hands there are other people plotting to get this money cuz we're talking about billions of dollars but 
it's all very vague. And in a book, you're given plenty of room to explore and explain these different groups of people about who might be going after this money and why certain groups want it to prevent it from certain people happening. But it's almost... It's a great sightseeing movie <laughs> because we go all over Europe. We go to London, then we're in... I forget. This movie is all over the place. They went to, um, they went to pre... Um, well, when the wall was still up, they went to Berlin when the wall was still in place. They right. went to Geneva. Um they went to a number of places, and I was kind of impressed by that. It's almost like a testament of how movies used to be made, and that it was right. shot in locations, real locations. But it's um, this is funny. I'm actually looking at comments right now, and one comment that greatly sums up the movie is, uh, let me see if I can find it quickly. It's um, uh, uh, a that says, "All Kane does is spend the film jetting to international tourist locations so that he can be filled in on the next plot twist by an obliging minor character." I, and I'm like, yeah, that's actually very accurate. That's exactly what happens to Here, yes. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with the movie. It's shot very, very well. It looks great. John Frankenheimer is a fine director. The, um, the action is shot well. You know, he has a good use of camera movement. He uses a lot of broad shots. Um, they shot on location all over the place. So, like, you're looking at real locations. <laughs> The actors are all fine. It's just that, especially Michael Caine, who is the only reason that this movie doesn't completely fall apart as a mess, because he is very, very good in this role. He is doing his best to keep it together, but even he must be confused by the script. I almost wonder, was the script changing daily? I'm, I'm looking at Wikipedia here. George Axelrod, who was one of the writers... There's a little note says Axelrod admitted he did not read the novel because he didn't have time. Well, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Uh, Maybe that is the problem. There are three people credited to the screenplay. And when the, you look at the movie, the movie has um, uh, what is called, I guess it's called a tone whiplash, where the movie doesn't know what it wants to be. So it's one thing and then it's another thing. It's like a, it's almost like a parody of espionage movies. Like if you took a novel, like maybe, almost like top. Remember Top Secret, the movie, the the the, the Val Kilmer movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. It, it almost edges to that. It, it almost goes to that place where you expect like a visual gag to happen, and in a way they kind of do. The, your, uh, John Frankenheimer did something with close-ups that I found really irritating. He would shoot people in close-ups and. Like, it's like he didn't know how to like tie the seat together, so he would just get somebody's face in a close-up, and they would do the info dump, and then they would leave. Well, I think the big the this movie, <clears throat> I think, was kind of doomed from the start. First of all, like you said, there are three credited screenwriters, one of which the one screenwriter um, was pretty faithful to the book. Another screenwriter wanted to add humor to this movie, and the third screenwriter didn't even read the book. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's not a recipe for a successful script. Also, a not a good not a good start to the movie is that James Kahn was originally cast oh, yes. in the Michael Caine role, and he left, like, literally, it, the movie was in pre-production. He left the movie days 
right before they were about to start shooting. So Michael Caine, I think he's feeling like his character feels whiplash because he's going from one country to another, location to location. But I think Michael Caine, the actor, probably had whiplash because he just like he was handed a script and had to walk on the set. This movie, I this movie is trying to be James Bond. Uh I think. I think it's trying to be James Bond. It's trying to be uh, a level was to be James Bond, but like you said, then you have um these moments that are trying for a comedy that are kind of cringe or silly or at least out of place on on a movie that is supposed to be like a spy thriller. It's and like you said, the movie goes all over except on suspense. Like the the movie never really feels a threatened, even though there are sequences of action that are underwhelming, are sort of underwhelming. Well, I think the problem is is that we're supposed to feel suspense, but other than we don't know, we don't know who's chasing who. <laughs> like we don't know. Like he notices certain people are following him, and. He takes it seriously. Other characters sometimes take it seriously. Then other characters laugh it off. Like he walks into, like he's like, I'm British intelligence. The man you just walked by is a serial killer. And he's like, well, why don't you arrest him? And he's like, well, I would like nothing more than to arrest him. But we've had business to talk to. And I'm just like, what? (laughs) What? Like, yeah, yeah. that is almost like the. um... Uh, is it the Peter Sellers that made a James Bond parody in the 60s? It reminds me a little bit of either that or Woody Allen. They made a parody in the There's, 60s of James Bond. Yeah, the, I, the I first that, that feeling from this movie. The first, because if you yeah, if you look up Casino Royale before we had Daniel Craig, there was there's a Casino Royale back from the 60s that is a spoof of James Bond movies. Yeah, this movie it, it's it. It's. I think like half the people wanted to make a really serious movie, and like yet yeah, there's parts of humor like people like the, some scenes. There's generally suspenseful like the and it's it's very gripping from the beginning. It's once all these different people start getting introduced, it gets so confusing that you like it, to really follow it. You need to take notes. The um the best. Like I said, the opening is very, very cool. The black and white newsreel feel. It like it looks like I old like news. Like, hmm, I'm, I'm, in, I'm yeah. into this. I'm into this. And then, unfortunately, the movie really starts. The movie proper gets going. Yeah, and then you got a cool shot of Michael Caine. He's up on a, a skyscraper. He's the architect that he's. And then there's the scene on the ferry where he's being told all about this money. And the guy warns him, you know, like he's like, we have to find the other two descendants that that are heir to the money. And he's explained why he's the head of it, because, you know, he's an American born citizen. His name was changed. So he's going to be the head of the foundation. They had to find the other two descendants and then they had to sign the papers and then they have control of the money. And they say that people have been know about like secret groups know about this. The problem is. We're not told specifically who is well. It, we kind of have to put the pieces together because it doesn't become completely clear until the very end, and then you have to go. But it's not a movie that you want to be like, "Oh, it all makes sense now." I need to rewatch and see where I missed the pieces. It's like, no, this movie is like leading you a trail of breadcrumbs, but it's. Two different people <laughs> leading you a trail of breadcrumbs, and one, the crumbs are all over the place. They're not in a straight line. It's a mess. 
But the it's best crumbs that lead to a stone wall. <laughs> right. It's gonna lead. It's if gonna. You crumbs so fast, you'll crash into a wall. Nah, not actually. No. Even worse, th- these crumbs would probably lead you straight off a cliff into nothing. Um, oh yeah, like a coyote, but, wily coyote like, kind of thing. The best. Let's the stuff that I did like about this movie is um, I I I really and this is why I really had hopes for this movie early on is that after the ferry goes on, uh, after they take the ferry ride and he's explained all about the money he's going to inherit and, and like what you, you know what his plans are for it and they're setting up okay we'll track down the the rest of everyone but we have to be careful now people are watching us and like it shows like the this is the best like this is it, it shows real signs of competence because it shows somebody like on a balcony watching and you see somebody up sneaking up behind Michael Caine then out of nowhere somebody uh brushes by him uh, a would-be assassin gets stabbed and an assassination attempt stops and I'm like, yeah, okay. I actually like that also. Yeah. It shows like they were really being, you know, there was an assassin, but then there was also like a team watching the assassin. Right. So the assassination attempt is thwarted. But at least in another direction, I'm like, that, yeah, I actually like that. But then I'm guessing maybe that was already in the script. And then after that, it was just the other stuff, the, the funny stuff and the parad- the parodical stuff. But then things get so confusing. He gets back to his hotel. Somebody's been killed in the lobby. We never exactly find out this what the guy that was killed was supposed to give Michael Caine some information, wasn't able to find Michael Caine, so he ends up getting killed. Michael Caine goes to see his mother. His mother says, "Oh, you shouldn't have anything to do with this money." I think the mother is in cahoots with the Germans. I'm not sure. This movie is very, very confusing. And- very vague, and it it's almost like um amateur, like um mystery writing 101 of not almost like the J.J. Abrams type of writing where. They just will not tell you something. They just simply will never tell you something because they don't know how to sort of disperse the information in a way that it's, you know, suspenseful, but also clever. Well, see, it, it seems like there's let's... a scene where people have a conversation. And then when the camp, when Michael Caine and, and the lady are gone, they start acting evil. <laughs> like I was like, this is like a joke. This is a parody. And, and there's and there's there's a brother and a sister who are married and it gets the, the the thing is let's let's be let's make something very clear here to the listener when we're talking about the writing we're not talking about Robert Ludlum and we're not talking about his novel cuz I I haven't read this but I have read Robert Ludlum's novels and he's very good about laying out these um these pieces and hinting at stuff to come I think the problem is that there's so there's too much going on in this movie and there's not, they either needed to trim out, like you could have trimmed out one of these conspiracy groups and just, if it was just one group conspiring against Michael Caine, that would be enough. But one of the relatives is conspiring with his sister, who's also his wife, and there's yeah. there's people that are supposed to be looking out for them. And then you, like, so... Here's my thought. <laughs> Here's my thought. They sh- because the one we we get we have Michael Caine, then we have one of the sons and his sister who's also his wife, which is gross. 
or they're just pretending to be brother. I'm not sure what their relationship is. But then- I think it was pretending because that final, I'm not going to spoil it in case anybody wants to. If you're a Michael Caine completist and you want to watch it, but towards the scene at the end where like, um, um, you know, like the reveal of her being behind the thing also and yeah. the argument that, you know, she might, she'll shoot him, but she can't quite do it. Like, so I thought, okay, they're married and they're acting as brother and sister because that was their their camouflage, you know, because both of them talk about how they've been in hiding their entire lives, you know, and, and there's this code, three rings, hang up, one minute later, two rings, and then you answer. Like, yeah. they're, they're just making up, they just tell you this over and over about how they've been hiding their entire lives. Right, so I'm not just sure exactly what the relationship is, but what I'm, the point that I'm getting at is, is then that we have this third descendant who really doesn't play any sort of role in the plot he's made a successful life for himself as a conductor and he, oh yes yes and, well he's so he's so forgettable that a smart move would have been to just get rid of him like get rid of that character because he doesn't really have it bearing on the plot and then flesh out take this time that you had with this character take it take it to establish this conspiracy group more like flesh them out give them scenes I together mean, yeah. like uh, kind of reduce the number of like uh, reduce the number and then build them up because until you mentioned that i realized now watching thinking back like maybe you got maybe you got that but i didn't like i never really learned who these groups are like they don't have a name they don't call themselves you know like the cabal or something well so i actually never really learned who the group <laughs> is it seemed to be individuals really who well, wanted the money well it, it was Here's the, the guy. There's, they keep talking about this list, and this list apparently is the list of like evil people. <laughs> like this list, like apparently there's like a ch- like this group. Since this is pre-internet, like a- apparently all these evil anti-authoritarian militia rebel group terrorist groups all like mail each other or something, but they're all like on a a list that this guy has, and so. The one descendant is plotting um, to take over because he knows that um, he would be next in line to run the organization once Michael Caine is is um, dead. So it gets complicated. So they need to keep Michael Caine alive until he signs the conv- the covenant. Mm. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Sir. So that's the thing. So like the suspense. Like the, all right. So people are going after him, but like, I guess the whole thing is <laughs> there will be like there. It, what would happen to the money is uncertain. If he's not dead, I would assume that if he's dead, then the other two would just be able to sign and take over the money. So like that's what I'm saying. This movie is so confusing because it doesn't. It is. It's. So it's, so, an, it's an indefinite enemy because the enemy is so indefinite, or the the, the villain is so indefinite. There's never a sense of like the enemy, you know, of uh, how would I say of solidifying. Like there's no sense of like the enemy solidifying, and then Michael King can say, "Oh, you're the enemy," and then I can go on the offense. And Michael King just keeps sort of hopping from place to place, it, yeah. much to the very end. Like that's the one thing I guess uh, that he's certain of. Like she is in love with him because she does something. You know, he gives her a chance to do one thing, she does another. Right, and yeah. And his reaction says, okay, so so that is the one thing we can be certain of, that she actually had feelings for him. 
Yeah, but she was going to kill him. Um, I don't know. She could be faking. Let's, let's, we've talked enough negative. Melvin, were there aspects of this movie that you actually did like? Because trying to describe the plot to this would take (laughs) forever. So let's, let's just, so let's just bring, let's, like you, I like the beginning. I I like the opening. I thought it was really cool. Like they did that right. They definitely found a way to get you interested with action and the setup and the the action that that, that high-ranking Nazi officer takes, which is really shocking. Like, wow, this is really serious. This guy shoots the two guys and then shoots himself. I'm like, whatever this is, it's a big deal. And, you know, this guy shot himself to to keep this secret, to keep this from never leaving that room. So I like that. And, again, I kind of like that. I Just because I like Michael Caine, I think who is not a fan of Michael Caine, you know? And so it was kind of cool to see him, you know, being witty and up there in that high-rise in New York City. And then I'm really with the movie pretty much all the way through up until after that first um, uh, counter assassination. Let's call it that. You know, the assassin is going to move in, but then someone else, another agency moves in and assassinates the assassin. He goes back to New York and no sooner is he back in New York, he barely has a conversation with his mother. It's like he has to go back to England. He has to fly out again. Right. So and after that, the movie starts getting a little bit um, like heavy, I guess. It's a heavy movie. It is so heavy. Just a little, a uh, little uh, mention here. The movie cost uh, the budget was a million pounds or thirteen million dollars. Box office three hundred eighty-three thousand to eight hundred twenty-five dollars. So damn. Yeah, I was gonna say we were gonna get to that at the end. That yeah, it cost about thirteen. Oops, sorry. It cost about thirteen million dollars to make and didn't even make a million, and it was ripped apart by critics. And I think, I I, I think so. The reason that I think that it has mis- has not been completely forgotten is, like you said, you've got Michael Caine, who I, I like Michael Caine, but thinking about, now that I think about it, it doesn't make any sense for him to be cast because he's supposed to be a German descendant that was born in Germany, but then lived in England, but moved to the U.S., but he's got an English accent. I don't know. It's very confusing. But like I said, originally originally James Caan was supposed to be cast, so that would kind of make sense. If he's an if he was American-born, he wouldn't have an English accent. So, like, Michael Caine, it's... See, the more you think about this movie, the more it's just going to be... It's going to leave you confused and staring at the wall going, I don't get it. Um, yeah, or you tune out. In my case, that's what happened. I tune out a few times, so I never really quite, until you mentioned it, I realized that I never even really learned who these groups are that want to get a hold of that money who are after Michael Caine. Like, maybe you got that, but I didn't. Like, now, I literally don't remember. It's, they mentioned that I cannot remember. The, the problem is that there's, again, I think that this is prob- I, I I actually want to read the book because I actually think the story is interesting and I think that given enough time and with enough, enough explanation to who who these nefarious characters are who's going after who and for what reason I think that would like I think that there's there's a germ of a good idea here and I'm I'm, I'm guessing it was a, be- a bestseller book bestselling book so you know people and, you know, Robert Ludlum is a, an acclaimed writer. He knows what to do. Um, but this movie is just, it's like I said, there's, t- the, you got three screenwriters, one of which didn't even read the book. Now that, like, 
how how do you how does that even happen? How does a guy like that get hired? Like you, you can't. It's also like a like a I think a highly regarded screenwriter. The name of the writer who made that confession is um uh george axelrod whose name i've seen it in a few movies so he's like a, one of those people who is brought in for rewrites for a script doctoring it's like a highly regarded guy but i, I mean it's entirely possible you know maybe they were re- ready to shoot and he uh, just really hold on read a 500 oh, book so hold on all right you're gonna get you're gonna love this oh boy <laughs> george axelrod is best known for his play The Seven Year Itch, which was adapted into the film starring Marilyn Monroe. Hold on, it gets better. He was nominated for an Academy Award for his adaptation of Breakfast at Tiffany's and he adapted Richard Condon's The Manchurian Candidate in 1962. Oh, that makes sense that he worked with a why Frankenheimer would go to him then. Maybe they're friends or they were friends and he called on him to give him one more polish on the script, and I don't know what he did. I guess. Um, <laughs> I, 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 he. Okay, so <laughs> like, I, I don't. Words. Chris cannot even come up with words to mention this. Yeah, it's it's so confusing because like it, it, you you and John Frankenheimer knows how to direct a good movie. Like I've seen him direct. I've seen movies he's directed. He's he's a good director. And he, um, my feeling on Frankenheimer is that he did something in the 60s and personally for me he never quite was able to do what he did with the maturing candidate on seconds. He never I uh, I've watched some movies after that and they never he never quite accomplishes what he did with those two movies in the 60s. I I like Ronin. He did Ronin in the 90s. I liked Ronin. So he's I saw that movie I didn't particularly like it. Maybe it's time for a rewatch. Maybe that's one that I should watch with by myself when cuz I watch it with a bunch of people who get interrupted. So oh, I wasn't really yeah. listening. Now, the Ronin Ronin is is similar as to the, the as to there's a lot of moving parts going on. But Ronan sets up these moving parts very, very well, and plus it's got it's got some of the best car chase scenes that I've seen. The car chase in the Hallcroft convent kind of comes to us to a halt. The problem with this movie is that if that you you're trying to figure out who's after who, who's playing who, which side is everybody on, and there's not a lot of like captivating action in between to keep the movie really yeah. kind of going yeah. hell there's a yeah, the action scenes are like almost like a again i keep going back to jj abrams because it it's almost like jj abrams saw this movie and that became the template for his own writing like um there is something happening and just whenever something some kind of confession or something is going to be you know an important piece of the plot is going to be dropped an action scene comes out of nowhere, and it's over like in a moment before you even fully understand what happened. It, like it's just so choppy. It's like you said, it's it's a movie that um all the parts are there, all the parts that would make a successful thriller are there. They just never quite come together. It's an it's an untogether movie. Now, yeah, there's this, it, it, and it is it's confu- Like this is just an example to how confusing this movie is. That he he meets up with the daughter of one of the descendants of the Nazis, and she's introducing him to his brother. Brother. <laughs> and they're at this horse stable slash nightclub slash restaurant, <laughs> and he's like, I'm not going to go horseback riding in the middle of the night. And then he walks by this 
guy sitting in a suit who's been spying on him, and he's like, ah, never mind, let's go horseback riding. And th- so they so they decide to have their secret meeting, like, in plain view, because the guy's spying yeah. on him. He's right in the other room. And he's across the way, yeah, behind the glass, but I'm assuming they're speaking out loud, so you can probably hear them. Because when they were on the other side of the glass, you couldn't hear the horses. Who? So I'm like, you know, he probably can hear everything you're saying. No, he said they they made it a note of saying that the horses would make it because they're, while they're walking around the horses, the horses are doing their kind of thing, and the horse clock. Oh. You see, and I, the horse. I don't even remember him saying that. I'm yeah, that. yeah. He makes a note of saying that it's good cover for them. So, but oh, again, it. I I don't know why if they knew they're being spied. But I guess that spy was actually working for the brother and the sister. I don't know. This movie, I, I don't want to have to take, uh, like, I take. Here's, a, here's another aspect of that. Like, doesn't that same guy show up at the at the opera place where, like, the, the conductor is after, to talk to the conductor after they leave? Yes. Okay, so, I actually, by the way, I'm talking about the pluses. I like that. I was looking at that scene. And I'm looking at the actor, I'm like, that guy looks familiar. And then, yes, it's Mario Adorf. And he did exactly what Mario Adorf does. He just hammed it up during that scene. Yeah. He was so funny. So, so, <laughs> so let's uh, get yeah, back. I like that aspect. But then, like I said, like, he sits there, you know, the guy shows up. And now Mario Adorf is evil, too. So, okay, what the hell, then? Everybody is evil. So, Everybody's in on this thing. So, let's... let's... Everybody hired the same hitman, apparently. who who knows what's going on with (laughs) but let's 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 highlight some of the good stuff here the acting for the most part whether or not i understand the character motivations is a is a i don't i for the most part if you told me which side these people are on uh i wouldn't be seven out of ten i wouldn't be able to tell you which side they're on the acting is the acting is solid regardless. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, the set designs are beautiful. The locations are great because, like I said, it's shot on location. So you you see you could see the money where the money was spent. The money was spent mm. on these locations and on these actors. More money should have been spent on. Do we have a a script that actually makes sense? Are people yes, going to be? I able mentioned to... the budget early. I didn't mean to spoil it. I know you want to, but I, I guess I brought that up. Why? Why I brought that up is because maybe it should have been like a leaner movie. It should have been like a tighter movie. Like maybe a possible keep it in New York only. Like you know, they, these people show up in New York and they're looking for him. And the police, when they run IDs, so, oh, these people don't exist. Or oh, this person died five years ago. He should yeah. not be walking around New York. Why is he after you? Like. I feel like it should have been like a leaner. That would have helped. Like, it's pretty cool. They got these locations. But it, I feel like they were underused. Like, uh, for example, one thing that I liked a lot is when they go to that hotel in, in Berlin, you know, the hotel facing the wall. That was really cool. That was a really cool location. And it happens to be also during this festival that I wonder if it's made up. It's like a festival for the saint of prostitution. Uh, What? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, they meet in that hotel, and that hotel is like, you know, it's very openly. Remember the prostitutes start up hitting on Michael Kane, like, hey, right, hey, yeah. you know, and she comes over, come on, like, she brings him into the room. It's like a really gross, disgusting hotel. Like, the room where they're staying, it looks like it was on fire well, at one point. Well, see, the thing is, certain, see, the thing is that this movie goes out of its way to explain certain things like i said it it goes out of its way to explain that the horses are muffling the sounds of them talking she goes out of the way to say look 
did you, did you notice he didn't look at our passports or anything? Like, we're, we're anonymous here. It goes out of its way to... Place for, you know, like, they don't ask questions. Like, pay the money, basically have sex. But the thing is about that scene, when they go out, and you, you see them having this parade, there's, like, women topless, like, men in drag. And when they asked him what's going on, the, the, you know, the guy at the front desk was there, too. And he told them it's a parade in honor of, I forgot the name of the saint, but he said it was the saint patron of the oldest, uh, most honest profession. So I took that to mean prostitution. Oh, <laughs> so it was no. a, a parade in honor of the saint of prostitution. <laughs> uh, I, I I was raised Catholic. If that there's a saint of prostitution, I was not brought up in any classes I attended. But I, what I'm trying to say is that this movie goes out of its way to explain why they were in this hotel, why they're using these horses, like why they're meeting with where these horses are. The problem this movie has is explaining who these quote-unquote bad guys are i'm using air quotes are it's it's never one one group is very much making sure that the money goes into the right hands the brit the guy that says he's in british intelligence but see that's the thing he says he's in british intelligence but it turns out he's not in british intelligence and there's this really exciting scene where they're driving away and they get there's a helicopter shot and motorcycles stop them and they're captured but it turns out they're not really captured it's just this other guy it's the movie doesn't explain clearly who's on what team the things that matter yeah the things that you need to explain it just flat out will not explain them and then it over details things that you can just simply do by you could just explain by simply showing them you know like you said it explains details of how they communicate by phone let the phone ring three times right let it wait a minute, then pick it up when it rings twice. Like um, but then so, like stuff like that that needs to be explained. So they don't explain. Like no. they don't really. Again, I'm, I still don't really know who the villains are. It seems like everybody was a villain of sorts. The it, the villains were, they were trying to bring back the Nazi Party. That's who the villains were. This was a okay. group. This was an organization that wants to bring back the Nazi Party. There's another group opposing them. The problem is it's not properly explained very well and there's too there's there's too many people doing not double crosses but like like I said the one guy that says he's British intelligence turns out not to be British intelligence but he's still a good guy and then I still I'm unsure who that guy in the wheelchair was like who was he supposed to be? He was supposed to <laughs> somehow verify that like Michael, it's so we've well, uh, now, that, because he actually said the name in German. Remember, he says Schaskenschen or Schaskenschen, right? But he never actually explains what that means. Like, what does that mean? Like, ooh, no. like, does it mean wolf in German? Or I okay. don't know. But then that same guy meets with uh, Jonathan Tennyson, and Jonathan Tennyson kills him. So, right. okay, so and he makes a speech that approximate it's like the oscar moment but it still doesn't say anything other than it, it, i don't know it makes a good case for elitism but it doesn't really say anything else he talks about how people are like common and they yeah. can barely read and they don't read and therefore you know other people you cannot let ignorant people take over the reins like yeah but i don't know i, I just don't know what it was about like so, he seems to they seem to be together but then he turns on turns on them all right Here, here's the story melvin We've been talking for 40 minutes, and all we've done is talk about how confusing this is. We're going to keep this episode nice and short, and 
I, I want you as an exercise to tell me three things that you liked about this movie. <laughs> three, right, just so, three, um, just three. To what I said, I liked the sequence in in Berlin because of the fact that they shot when the wall was still in place and Berlin was a divided place. And later on, that leads to an action scene that, while underwhelming, because they didn't really use locations. Like I looked at those scenes, like the archway and all that, and I remembered the third man. And I'm like, wow, this had the potential for something way cooler. But I like the whole notion of like the people on the streets, like almost naked in the streets. And I'm guessing this is bullshit, but like the fact that they had a parade to the patron saint of prostitution, like I thought it was really funny and clever. I like Mario Adorf, you know, for the few minutes that he's on on screen, like he was hilarious. And I like the beginning. I like the beginning. That that was a really solid beginning and a good setup up until when Michael Caine goes to um, is it Switzerland that he goes to meet with that guy and the ferry, and then they have that that leads to that killing. Yes, I, I like that. I like the beginning. I like um, Mario Adorf's very brief scene, but very hilarious scene. And I like the scenes in Berlin and the pre um, uh, pre war. Uh, pre-wall Berlin, I guess you would say, before when the wall was still in place. Okay, so that's three. So, and I'll go with my three things that I I liked the ferry scene. Um, I liked the dialogue because it it was ex, it it was explaining things, and it wasn't doing it. Uh, it was doing it in a clever manner, explaining exactly why Michael Caine would be interested in the money and the guy, the banker explaining that he would be in danger. And then that little, um, the little exchange after they're leaving the ferry, the assassination attempt on him, um, that gets thwarted. That was one thing I really, really Mm -hmm. liked. I, I love my favorite thing about this movie is the, the, one of the fine, um, is first, I, I, I think that there's two... The ending of this movie has two... And, and so I really like the beginning of this movie. The middle of this movie mm. confused the hell out of me. But then... Me too, yes. The ending of the movie had two extremely clever, clever little twists. I like the fact that Michael Caine um, knew that the, the daughter slash sister of of the descendant was in on the killing of his own mother and that she was going to try to kill him and she and he knew that because um he had told her about um his mom being killed but he had not said anything about the guard dog being killed and that's and and then when she was saying how Ooh. upset she was that that gave it away that that she was in cahoots with uh the the evil germans so i like that twist and then the 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 best thing about this movie is that since michael kane had put together all these pieces about what had happened he knew that he was going to be a prime target for assassination and that he knew that because he basically said that the minute that i signed this form this covenant is signed I am a dead man. Mm. And so what does he do? He calls a press conference in the hall of the bank that they're signing the papers. And (laughs) that completely blows up these evil Germans plans. So, yes, I I guess my, my feeling is that this is like having a really 
mediocre sandwich that is made <laughs> it's made with two slices of really really good bread but whatever meat or veggies or sauce they use in the middle uh you don't know really what it is it's a mystery meat because it confuses you that's how what this movie is <laughs> it's it's got a good it's got a really good beginning a really good ending but the it's not that the middle is bad it's just conf, it's too confusing and i agree yeah and i would say uh, I, you and i are two reasonably intelligent guys we shouldn't have this much trouble trying to decipher this movie. And I, I, I think that the problem is is that they often say that one one page of script usually equals um, one minute of film. So yes. you got to figure it this way. Robert Ludlum told this story in over 500 pages. That's a 500-minute movie if you were to really yes. get into the details. So this 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 premise, I, I think that this premise should be revisited. Do like a limited series. Do like an eight-episode HBO series, an hour each episode. Give this. You need to flesh out these characters because mm-hmm. as it is, this movie does not... It doesn't give... These characters will pop up on screen... And then they disappear, and then they reappear, and you go, oh, they look... And they all kind of look the same, and they all dress very similarly. So other than, the like, and there's only one woman, so and the mother. So, like, you really need to take time to flesh these characters out, because without that time taken, you're left with this confusing mess. You don't know who's, who's, like, which team are they on, like... I don't even know what their team consists of. They're they're trying to <laughs> yeah. resurrect the Nazis, I think. Um, it's just really kind of confusing. So, um, and, and, and like I said, it, it critically, like it, it was a very, it was a very middle of the road kind of. People were like, it looks really good because, like I said, they shot on like a lot of locations, and like the acting is really good. I think that, uh, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, this movie is probably best played on mute. Put on like a record. <laughs> Take this as an experiment. They say that Dark Side of the Moon matches up with the Wizard of Oz. I'm sure that there's some some obscure like acid jazz album that links up perfectly with the Holcroft Convent. Because if you try to just watch this movie, um, first of all, take notes. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna need to take notes because this movie is very confusing, and. Um, it's, it'll leave you, it, 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 here's the thing. And this is what I don't like about movies like this is it's very easy for me to say, well, that was a good movie. I, I would like to revisit this somewhere down the line, or that's a bad movie. I never need to see this again, or this movie's so great. I need to recommend it to people. This movie is like the only reason that I recommend it to me is because I'm like, I, 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 I just want to make sure, like, I, I want to make sure that, like, if I'm not dumb, like, am I, am I, am I losing IQ points? I'm like, because I, I've never had so much trouble trying to follow a movie. Like, it's, it's, and I'm glad that you feel the same way. <laughs> it makes me understand yeah, that. This... Uh, in my case, when something like that happens, I just tend to tune out. I just started paying attention to other things. But, um, like you said, something like this, 
And that's one thing that's great about the streaming services now. Like you can do series. You don't have to do. You don't have to try to compress something into two hours, two and a half hours. You can have this involve several episodes. Right. But for a movie like this, I can point that out. All the elements are there. All the elements are there, and individually, they're very good. They just don't quite come together. They never quite come together in a in a in a way that's satisfying and and you can follow. So, would you recommend this movie? Uh, cautious recommend if you're a fan of Michael Caine like if you're a, like a completist yes go ahead and watch it but um, cautious like you know if you don't like it don't get mad at me <laughs> I was gonna yeah, I was gonna like yeah if you're a Michael Caine, um, here's the thing though I, well, I suppose if you're a Michael Caine completionist you're gonna watch anything he does I was like I could recommend you many many better Michael Caine movies and I can recommend better John Frankenheimer movies and I can also recommend yes. better adaptations of Robert Ludlum movies I guess that I'm I, I I kind of like see movies like this appeal to me because they're very there's obviously a longer script somewhere that's sitting in somebody's desk draw that probably fleshed this movie out and just like for budgetary reasons they had to trim it down and they hired somebody to punch it up and they wanted to add some humor this was just kind of like this is um way too many cooks in the kitchen Mm-hmm, definitely, yeah. It needed to be one thing, and and I don't know to a certain degree. I I would almost say John Frankenheimer needed to do that. He he looked at that script. He would have said, "Guys, like, no, it's just all over the place. It has to be one thing." Yeah, you know, because he is um, he is competent of doing stuff, but he's also I don't know. He's an odd, odd person he's put out some really questionable movies like uh rain like reindeer games that's a real bad movie um i, I think that was his last movie too unfortunately i guess you could say I, I i i don't know if this was a paycheck movie for him but you know i i would say that i, I i'm gonna go with you as a cautious recommendation if you're a big robert ludlum fan um and you really really like this novel uh don't watch this movie because this movie. Yeah, you'll be definitely disappointed, but you'll be like frustrated, like we are. <laughs> yeah, because I think I think what'll happen is you'll be like, "Wow, I just," because I've done that. I've um, there there are books that I've read and then I watch the film adaptation, and I'm just like, "What did you do? Like, why? Come on, what's wrong with you people?" And I and yeah. um. But I think we kind of I think we pinpointed the problems with this movie. There's uh, three different screenwriters, one of which did did not read the book, which is just that's like I can't think of a redder red flag um, for for a screenwriter. Like uh, if you're hired to work on a film adaptation of that would be like uh, Melvin. Before we go, you 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 work on a uh, a graphic not well gra- uh, a comic strip, correct? Yes. And the name of that is uh, the plot. Okay, so you work on the plot, and somebody from Hollywood says, "Oh, Melvin, we love the plot. We're going to turn it into a movie." You go, "Great." Uh, let me. Uh, be like, no, no, no. You don't even have to worry about the screenplay. We're going to hire this guy to write the screenplay for it. 
And this guy never looks at a single panel of the plot and just says, well, uh, I got the gist for it. I'll just kind of look at the pictures, but I'm not going to read any of the words and I'll make up my own words. That's like, like how insulting would that be to you? It'd be insulting. And also it's like, um, if you don't even get a sense of it, like you don't have to understand it thoroughly, but at least get an impression of what that is about, you know, like, and, and in this case, not only did he not read the script, but also the this person, George Axelrod, based on the, on the credits you read, it seems like his thing was comedy. He really was not like a suspense writer or someone who writes action or, no, or he, for a thriller, which is a different sensibility. Uh, you can have little like funny moments in a thriller, but well, it, it looks like Axelrod was predominantly comedian, comedic writer. Well, uh, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with you because, yes, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and Seven Year Itch and... Those, yes, but remember the third thing that I read is he adapted the Manchurian candidate, which is a oh, okay, yeah, wow, I totally so, forgot. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's fantastic He's, movie. Yeah. So, like, he is capable of doing a political thriller, like, he so, like, this is just, I guess, this is just one of those things you're just gonna have to be confused by, and sometimes movies. <laughs> Sometimes movies are confusing in a good way. I would say this is not a movie that is confusing in a good way, though, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. Some movies leave you with, like, lingering questions. And you, usually those are fun because you talk about it after the movie. You, you go out and get a coffee and pie. So This is a movie that you just, meh, I, I just don't, I don't want to even think about this anymore. It's the opposite. <laughs> so, so me and Melvin both cautiously recommend this. Um, but here, here, if you are a listener and you're, you're still here with us, and you've seen this movie, um, please reach out to me or Melvin. I'm uh, on Twitter at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. Hit me up on Instagram. Shoot me an email at the Cult Film Companion podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at Cult Film Comp. Message me. Tell me, did you like this movie? Have you, like, are you after, or if you haven't seen it, has our little rant here made you curiously, like, in a morbid kind of way, wanting to see it? I'm very cur- curious to know what other people think about this. Because when I put it up on Twitter that we were doing this movie, I, I, I threw out a bunch of movies that were coming up on the podcast. Uh, this was the only one that nobody ever said, oh, my God, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, <laughs> I, I think this is one of those movies that, like... Um, I came across it just because I was reading um, an article about underrated uh, 80s, 80s thrillers. What the hell? Yeah, it, it, and this, the uh, I'll have to find that list because I don't know what this author... Uh, make, yeah, if he does a social media, write to him and tell him, no, you're wrong on this movie, but... Uh, you know, it's not, it, it's definitely not the worst movie I've ever seen, but... Um, uh, Michael, if it was anybody else other than Michael Caine, I, I don't think I probably would have made it through this movie. Um, because yeah, I, what I, another thing I like about his performance is he looks just he looks so confused throughout this movie that I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I, I'm just gonna ride with it because he looks confused, so I'm confused. Uh, Let, let's just see what happens. And like I said, I did like the way I did like the little twists at the end. And the beginning was very, very good. So it's 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 a mess. 
it's it's really a mess. It's a it's a it's, sa- uh, yeah. It's a movie that never quite comes together. Yeah. Like the, the elements never quite come together. They're all really well, uh, very good individually, but as a whole, it doesn't come together. No. So, um, Melvin, where can we find you online? What? I am usually on Twitter a lot. I am uh, at Robopope on Twitter, which is where I met Chris and where we um, discuss movies, uh, sometimes with more fun than other times. But typically, that's the best. Uh, I have an Instagram, but I very rarely go there. I have a Facebook, but I use it even less. Uh, Twitter is really where you find me, uh, uh, where I'm most active. And what's going on with your projects? Okay, so I have the you know the graphic novel, like, uh, and that was going well. Like, I was getting a lot of downloads. It kind of stopped, but... um. I've kind of run out of ideas on how to draw attention to it. I'm not really sure. But one thing that I started doing that I'm really excited about is I started a, a Substack newsletter, which I'm going to share with you, actually, so you can share it with your friends. Sure. Which is a, a cool little thing. It's, I'm treating it more like a blog, a sort of like a little uh, thing of sort of mapping my own thought process, figuring out how my brain works best, and how can I put that to work on creative projects. Mm. So that's something that I'm going to share with other people who may be struggling with their own projects share all these ideas that I come to uh, uh, that I put there on how to come up with solutions to uh, screenwriting graphic art or anything like that so awesome. I'm really excited about that I love that platform it's got so much flexibility so check out all that stuff follow Melvin on uh, Twitter at uh, Robopope and follow me on Twitter at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. We've talked this movie to death. Melvin, do you have any <laughs> final thoughts for the Hallcroft Covenant? Covenant. 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 Let's let the Hallcroft Covenant go in peace. Uh, absolutely. And um, thank you all for tuning in to the Cult Film Companion Podcast. Melvin, I promise next time I have you on the show, it'll be a better movie. Uh, I was going to say, can I pick the movie on the next discussion? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll shoot you a list and you you let me know what catches your eye. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me over. I I actually had fun. I have to admit it. I had fun just to... No matter how we try to steer to one subject, we always go back to the structure. Oh, the yeah, story. yeah, you know, you, you, <laughs> with a movie like this, you got to make the most of it. So thank you all for tuning in to the Cult Film Companion Podcast. This is Chris signing off. Bye.